Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Ho, 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 Mark. All the best of the season to you, Brendan. Merry Christmas. Come and gone. Perhaps, yes, um, Happy New Year about to happen. Um, this is our Christmas New Year special. Vetgurus.com, the place to go. A bit of housekeeping before we get stuck into the Christmas New Year special, Mark. Or should we say season's greetings um, to be politically correct? No, I'm going to say Christmas, Mark. Merry Christmas. Merry Hope Christmas. Hope you had a good one. Vetgurus.com, Etsy. Dot com vet gurus poke around there think about purchasing one of the fantastic merchandise items from our Etsy store they the problem with those items is mark that they they're so good they don't um, wear out they're not no built-in obsolescence apart from the iPhone case by a degradable one that you purchased and i still haven't purchased that one i must go and try that one out um the biodegradable case and like i said at one stage it's um the beauty of that is you can if you're stuck on a desert island or something mark you could potentially eat your iphone case because you're totally edible your iphone will be useless there'll be no reception so you might as well eat the case that's biodegradable, Mark. It might keep you alive and might save your life. Etsy.com Vet Gurus. So, Mark, 2023, gee, they go quicker every year. And I know I say that every year, but it speeds by, doesn't it? It is the characteristic of our Christmas special that we reflect on the year that was. And, and it is the case. Both of us are gentlemen of a certain age and... The years just start to click by at an increasingly speedy clip. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it seems like we were just uh, talking about our Christmas special a couple of weeks ago from last year. Yes, that's what happens when you become geriatric, doesn't it, Mark? <laughs> um, things fly by. Uh, it's not like the old days when you're a... At school, and you'd have the school holidays, the Christmas holidays here, or the season holidays. It might not be winter holidays in the Northern Hemisphere, and they seem to last for ages, don't they? You think, gee, it's two months or three months or whatever it is, and they seem to drag on forever, and you love it. And then school starts again, and you're depressed again, heading back to school with your new school uniform that mum purchased that you don't look particularly... Um, trendy in um were you a trendsetter mark with all that sort of stuff not at all my my parents very wisely and and uh appropriate to their earnings bought bought clothes that i would grow into often (laughs) often from the um the school school had a a a, a recycling facility they you know as uh, students would grow out of their their either their clothes or the school altogether they would leave some clothes behind, and and yes, so I was never very trendy. I've made maintained that that old status for an entire lifetime, Brendan. Habits uh, started young. Well, I'll tell you a story. My wife will kill me if she listens to this one. But 
when she was in primary school, Mark. Um, Your which gorgeous wife. In um, Australia is the first six years of school or so. All she wanted one year was a new um, backpack, Mark, um, and she asked her mum for the new backpack um, and all she wanted was a basic backpack and not that she hates, as you know, she hates to stand out and she just wanted to be anonymous and she said, just get me a backpack like any of the other kids, nothing fancy, just get me something I can put my, <laughs> my books in and go to, you know, um, grade three. She would have been, I don't know, 10 or 12 at this stage, um, maybe a little bit younger actually, and her mum went out and her dad came home um, and purchased a, a, a briefcase. <laughs> so there she was. She had to, and she um, had to, she was pushed out of the car off to school um, with a briefcase, Mark. Um, and boy, did she pay for it. <laughs> you know what kids are like. Um, so Isn't that a was. classic example of her parents trying to? Make it special. You know, they thought, yeah, it's special. We've got, we haven't got you a a backpack. We've got you a briefcase. (laughs) Surprising, she didn't end up an accountant, Mark, (laughs) 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 or an embezzler, (laughs) or a drug dealer. Um, (laughs) So there you go. So that's one of the stories there. Um, And well, the only the other story that's related to that (laughs) is um, um, they had a very wealthy um, neighbour. Um, who um, drove a, a very fancy, um, very expensive Rolls Royce yeah. motor motor car, and um, he would try, um, try and um, get her to um, um, jump in the car. I'll take you to school, you know, because he'd be driving past and that, and she'd always try and look the other way and pretend he didn't hear her because no way in the world she wanted to be rolling up to <laughs> school in a roller and, and hop out, out of the door there, even though it wasn't hers. So, yes, um, we all like to be anonymous at, at um, particularly at the primary time, school. Yes. Particularly at primary school. Yes. How did I get onto that, Mark? <sighs> we waffle around everywhere. What, what, what I meant to ask you, because I think after COVID, particularly reflecting on this last year, I think uh, clinical practice has been sort of getting back to normal with a few adaptations. And, yes. And I'm often looking at it from the outside these days, having sold the practice and, and travelling way up north, I, I see a lot of practices and do the occasional locum, but, but I trust your perception, Brendan. How has it been these last 12 months? Yes, I think clinics have been a lot more settled. I mean, notwithstanding the staffing issues um, yep, yep. within the industry, which I think that is that is settling down a little bit, or maybe that's just my my perception of it there. But yeah, I think um, nowhere near as crazy as the COVID days, Mark. And I know on a previous episode that we did last week, um, we spoke about the. Um, the complaints that skyrocketed um, during the COVID area because of lack of communication and face-to-face contact. Um, so things have certainly set a lot more, and I think the stress levels have decreased dramatically, although I think things are never the same, aren't they, and, and change some changes are permanent, and there's a lot more focus, which is good, on on mental health and trying to maintain good good mental health within practices. So there is a lot more 
a lot more of a spotlight on that, um, where it was sort of, not, I suppose not ignored, but sort of almost, you know, swept under the rug, wasn't it, Mark? To, I to think, a certain extent. to be fair, I, I don't know that it was swept under the rug as much as things happened, but the, things happened uh, in an attempt to deal with um, with uh, mental health for veterinarians, but but those things were a bit piecemeal and often repeated at uh, different levels of, yeah, of, yeah, of right. the professional organisation. Well, they weren't good. they weren't recognised, I suppose. Is is it's is much a big more formal well. and organised yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so and that's the, a good thing. I th- honestly think that the the uh, the focus on uh, um, those non technical skills, the things that we need to be a uh, a, a an appropriate, well-rounded professional that's not uh, that doesn't involve the specifics of doing the job. The the uh, some people refer to them as soft skills. The focus on that, particularly the way that focus has become more formal, um, and there's a number of courses and programs that are useful for promoting that stuff. I think that's a great thing that's come out of COVID for the profession. Yep. Yep. Uh. I've just lost what I was going to say then um, because I was listening so intently uh, to your reply there. So I think the clinics are coping better with, um, with um, it's not, uh, there's no such thing as a return to normality, is there? No, it's the really? new normal. New normal, yeah, we'll The call new it. normal, Mark. But I do take your point that um, I think the, the veterinary shortage, I can't, uh, there's definitely a little bit less anxiety about it overall. There's certainly still some pockets of the profession, geographic pockets here in Australia, where uh, it's hard to get adequate numbers of staff. Um, but I just think whether it's the how long it's gone on, a number of uh, situations where people have been able to get stuff. Just the heat has gone out of it a bit. I would say, you know, if we gave the anxiety associated with the veterinary shortage a 10 out of 10 a year ago, it's it's still up there. It'd be 8.6, I reckon. Yes, yes. So what's your... I'm going to put you on the spot here as usual. What is a one-minute recommendation to try and cope or reduce or deal with that? anxiety the the anxiety of practice in general or yep. um, well i reckon this this is a great question brendan and i've reflected this is one of the things i have reflected on as we've come up to christmas purpose i think that as veterinarians a big part of our life because of our our um all-encompassing education and and the nature of the job taking up all our time it leaves us little time to pursue other aspects of our life you know you know how i enjoy uh, the wildlife stuff and the photography stuff and i have found that those things have given me perspective on the profession that i love so dearly that sometimes when I didn't cultivate those other endeavours, those other things, I, I struggled a little bit with. So I think maintaining multiple purposes to your life um, is, a, is a good thing. And being aware that, that 
you know, you're probably, there's going to be changes, whether it's COVID affecting practice, whether it's the practice you work in, might, you might end up changing. Um, but always uh, looking to the future and trying to maintain a stream of things that, uh, that uh, give you joy, Brendan, and maintain your um, quality of life. I think that's the, that's, for me, that's been the secret to, well, maintaining a, sometimes wonky but reasonable mental health for a long period of time give you joy mark well you certainly give me joy with your replies mark and whenever we catch up and speaking of joy the changes i i think mark to client attitudes um and i think it's part of that post covid sort of um progression mark um is that they have improved in that, you know, we were all stressed out and a lot of us were grumpy during that sort of COVID years um, and that carried on um, post-COVID for a, a period of time. But I, I, I reckon, Mark, I reckon it's tapered off a, a big amount over the last uh, 12 months, Mark. So, Do you think that, are... that I, I reckon there's been lots of places that I go into, just um, normal retail places, and there's prominent signs saying, you know, we're just sales staff. Don't be kind to yeah, our staff. Don't, don't, yes. be, don't be uh, nasty. And I think um, while that should be a common courtesy that shouldn't, you know, people shouldn't need to be reminded of, I think those signs and the general commentary in in various forms of media that highlight the the bad effects uh, that that uh, behaviour has on people has made a difference. I think while there's still people who are unreasonable at the front counter, I agree with you. I think that's uh, post-COVID has tapered off a little bit and people are thinking before they shoot off their mouth a little bit more. I know I am, Brendan. That's sad, isn't it, when you have to put signs up like that, you know, um, be nice, to, do not shout. Um, actually, when did I tell you <laughs> when I was travelling <laughs> with my lovely wife in Japan about a month ago. Um, we came across a little coffee shop near a museum that we went to uh, yeah. in, where was it? Was it, um, may have been in Tokyo. It may not. I think it was. And the sign was in, obviously in Japanese, but also in English on the coffee shop front door saying, this coffee shop is run by an elderly couple Please be kind to us and um, note that it may take longer than you'd expect to be served. <laughs> um, and P.S. Um, we do not take any tour bookings, you know, with with groups or groups of people more yep. than ten or so. And uh, we went in there, and I think I I I not exaggerating, they would have been at least eighty. Um, this this couple, and they were lovely, and they did speak some English. And we spent a couple of hours in that that coffee shop, and uh, we um the the wife um, was an excellent potter, Mark. Um, she made some amazing pottery that I certainly couldn't afford um at the time because it was <laughs> it, it started at several thousand Australian dollars um for for one piece, um, but they were beautiful pieces of pottery um and lovely people we had a sort of disjointed chat to them but um you know it's um some kind nice people mark um and there, there are still a lot of kind nice people in the world thank goodness i think the other thing too brendan and you'll probably have coming from 
um, Melbourne, the big city down at the bottom, the southern um, part of mainland Australia, I think that there's a tendency, I've noticed it coming back to Newcastle, for people to go fast. They, they're they in a rush to go everywhere. And I think those opportunities, you should embrace those opportunities to slow down, whether it's at a restaurant with the uh, the elderly couple. The fact that they're slow is actually a bonus, I reckon. They should charge more for that. Um, because <laughs> yeah. I do think it's, it's good to smell the roses, take some time, look around, enjoy the perspective. And, and obviously uh, people that take a little bit of time to make wonderful pro- pro- pottery or wonderful meals, they're going to give you a chance to, to um, enjoy something at a different level. And I think that's a good thing. Yes, slow down. And the final part of that story of story one part of it is i we i ordered a, a piece of cake uh, yeah. it's a lovely piece of sponge cake there one of the few phrases that i that i sort of uh, memorized for use in in japan was this is delicious <laughs> so after i'd uh, eaten the cake I, I said to the wife oh this is delicious and um, she was over yeah. the moon come on how how do you say that in japanese uh, no i'll butcher it i'm not too <laughs> butcher it. <laughs> and she was over the moon with that and, and then just as we were leaving she came up to us and um bowed very deeply and, and, and offered us this little present. Um, and, oh. we, and it was a, um, and I thought it was a recipe for the for the cake because we were chatting a little bit about the, the sponge cake or whatever that she produced. And it was a tiny lot. I'll have to show it to you next time you turn up, Mark. It was a tiny little um, glass uh, turtle. Oh, wow. And that's about the size of a, of a, of a, of a fingernail. It's, um, tiny little um, turtle so you know they're the sort of things you treasure um, when you go on a holiday those sorts of interactions not yeah, the one when yeah. somebody pickpockets you or something <laughs> like that but yes so yeah it was yeah you're right slowing down mark i think we all we, we are getting old aren't we uh, <laughs> but smelling the roses and um, sipping the tea is an important part the journey isn't it mark so so uh- through that journey throughout this year, we, we at our uh, um, Christmas uh, discussion, our Christmas reflection on the podcast, um, one of the things we always touch on are uh, maybe changes to the, the pet population. Are there trends in species that you think might, that have occurred over the last 12 months? What's the hot species? What, yeah. everybody, what does everybody want to purchase? Well, what about name? Do you, uh, any of those things? What, what, uh, yeah, oh, just species. All the, Start with the species. The species, well, we haven't had that much of a change really, Mark. We've probably seen a few more uh, frogs, Mark, yeah. Um, yeah. As, as pets, and some of them are, um, long-term clients, but there is an increasing number of new clients with frogs. So whether that's a bit of a trend, it might just be the area we're in. But the same sort of percentage of, of um, the common exotics, the rabbits, the, the, the guinea pigs, the ferrets, the reptiles, the, the turtles, the lizards, still lots and lots of bearded dragons. I think there's, there is still a bit of an increase with the number of Reptiles, especially the lizards, Mark, um, that that are purchased. Um, 
I was going to say of of saying had probably had a bit of a decrease in the number of native animals kept as pets. So oh. here here in Australia, Mark, less or the num less numbers that are presented to me is probably a better way of putting it of yeah. of pets like um, possums and and sugar gliders. Um, although I've seen a couple in the last few weeks, um, which I think is a good thing because um, I, especially with sugar gliders, you know my thoughts on. I don't think sugar gliders are a great, great pet. I do. I do think that um, that one of the things uh, when I think about our corner of our niche of the profession, looking at unusual and exotic animals and and birds, that there are particular species that are amenable to domestication and and uh, companion companionship with humans. And then there are other species that are not uh, amenable to that and, and a suitable level of quality of life. And I know I'm getting on my little bit of a soapbox here, but um, I agree with you 1,000% um, that uh, animals like sugar gliders probably don't make um, uh, the best companion animal pets and you have to bend their quality of life quite significantly out of shape to make them fit into a life with humans. You know what I find annoying, Mark? Apart from you <laughs> you've been to hear. <laughs> you've been correct most of the time. Is I went for a walk today and this is man, I'll just <laughs> who um, likes to work um, he has his Corella, Mark, yeah. um, tethered um, on a big long piece of rope, and he likes to parade it up and down our local little shopping centre uh, yep. here in, in research, and you know those shops down there where I am. It gives me the irrits. I do not like it at all. What's your thoughts on that? Speaking of appropriate species and and or or, or appropriate way of of looking after animals, I just and and he just sort of struts up and down with you know dragging and he literally has to you know every if it's been a bit slow he literally pulls a um, length of rope and it's not a tiny bit of you know twine that he has attached to its um, foot it's a decent um, big hefty rope um, that he pulls the bird along i think old mate your friend with the corella i think that he's a good example of the the answer to the question, why do we have pets? So I think that for for some people, like uh, old mate, the pet is about them. They're the centre of the universe and the pet facilitates some aspect of their personality that they want to be out there and and putting in front of the rest of the community. There's... there's to my mind, I'm the same as you. It gives me the air. It's why only bad things could happen to that poor bird in that highly populated, dense, you know, it's going to bite someone or it's going to get pecked by a magpie or a dog. Um, there's a lot of dogs that walk that, uh, that uh, area. Like, it's not in the bird's best interest. It's in his interest to stand out. Um, maybe we should have given him a briefcase when he was in grade three. He he just wants to be the person who is looked at because they're different. 
and when it's more about him than it is about the pet, um, then I think that's when uh, when I worry, and it, it does give me the irrits. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm completely on board with that. Um, restricting the bird's actions with a, a harness probably makes it a little bit safer that it can't fly away. But there are probably better ways to do that if in the bird's, uh, you know, to, for the best best outcome for the bird. Um, and and yeah, he's just shown off, Brendan. He's just shown off. Yes, it's difficult, isn't it, dealing with clients who bring a pet into the clinic, Mark, um, and you see a list of all the things that they are doing incorrectly and also, you know, you might butt heads with them about their attitude of how they keep, look after or not look after their pet, Mark. It's a, it's a bit it's of a... Hard, it's hard not to... <laughs> it's hard not to butt heads with them because I think they pick up, well, at least the clients that I have dealt with where I've tried to, you know, I, I start, I'm the same as you, I start with, uh, I'm in this dial, I've got them in the door, I'm in this dialogue, at least take, don't piss them off straight away, please take some time to to try and introduce them to some new ideas and shift the Overton window of their expectation of quality of life for their animal. But but I think they pick up on my disapproval pretty quickly um, and the shutters come down. They're far less receptive to my suggestions of what might represent a quality life for that animal um, and they often leave doing exactly the same things they were doing. I'm a failure, Brendan, when it comes to that because... I well, must just lose my cool. I, th I think they're the cases where you just have to realise that you're not going to um, berate somebody into changing their mind, and it's best to. I, it's it's like the client who comes in and and who who was into very alternative alternative medicine, um, and these days I, instead of trying to convince them that hey no i don't believe in that and um, you shouldn't be using it and use what Bre dr brendan says i just um, say to them um, obviously i can't supply you with you know what you require and here's a list of veterinarians who do practice alternative medicine that will probably be better suited to you as your as your veterinarian um, and it's another example of um, surrounding you, th you yourself with things that bring you joy and removing the things that don't. Yes, and the old you know adage of you know sack the clients that um, you need to sack yeah. um, that that don't um, get on with you. What's the point of stressing out that Mr. Smith is coming to see you later in the week if um, if Mr. Smith complains all the time and you don't like Mr. Smith and vice versa. So why do they continue coming? You know, tell them to go elsewhere. Go and Have see you ever Do had Dr. The circumstance? Mark. <laughs> Have you ever had the circumstance? Like there's been a couple of times where we've had that uh, practice divorce situation where we write a letter literally saying we've, we've reached a point in our discourse where we realised you're not going to make us happy and we're not going to make you happy, so let's call it quits before it gets too bad. Yep. 
And people have been like literally shocked that we would be upset at their behaviour. They are gobsmacked that, <laughs> that what they're doing might not uh, might yep. not be making us happy. Um, and we've had a few clients beg to, um, you know, to, look, we're aware of it now. We don't want to have to go elsewhere. Can we please come and and uh, and get you to look after our animals? So that practice divorce letter either a gets rid of them or b changes their behaviour if they do hang around. So I think they're a great thing, Brendan. Yes, I agree. I agree. And the weight lifts off you, doesn't you? Doesn't it? Um, when you when you when you sort of just let it go, Mark. I'll let and it go. And not just you. Not like you. I know you've had the experience of the weight being lifted off uh, your staff, and they feel so validated when you um when you show them the copy of the letter that's going out to the client, and they. You know, we've had a few little fist-pumping sessions where people go, yes, not only do I not have to listen to Mrs. X again, but my boss listened to me and and, uh, and actually instituted a change which made the job better. So, yep, I'm a big advocate for divorce letters for practices. Now... Changes to the types of pets, Mark. Have you have you noticed anything, or have you heard about I, any changes just, to the-, the? The only comment I had there, Brendan, was that, and look, that I preface what I'm about to say with the uh, non-scientific uh, sample space I'm about to discuss, and the anecdotal nature of the um, the, uh, the 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 case series that I'm about to present, but I reckon. My lagomorph clients have gotten a bit loopier. They've 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 just become one well, loopy is probably insulting to them, and I shouldn't have said that word. I should have said intense. They just are getting markedly that my my rabbit clients are getting markedly more intense um, about the the. Um, the issues surrounding their rabbit's health, and um, as a consequence, their their expectations have become uh, increased. The 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 um the cases that we work through much more extensively have increased. I just my gut feeling is that uh, rabbits are inducing people to love them more, and and they're just getting a little bit um uh, well intense. Yeah, intense. That's the word. Yes. How are your that, rabbit coins going? Well, that's a that can be a big positive and a big negative, can't it? Yes, um, that, yes. With any species um, that a client is full on with it, because you know that one that that consultation is going to be potentially a a longer consultation, but also you have to be a bit more careful about the way you way you walk with them, them in that cons- consultation um, and especially so if they 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 roll up with reams of paper from Dr oh, Google yes. um, and start pointing out even before you've you've started examining the animal they've they're telling you what the diagnosis is um, they're the they're the ones that I I don't do arc up about mark um, and I struggle to control my emotions there um so have you seen have you seen there was a i don't probably before covid um i was like every second client was coming in with reams of stuff printed out or emailing me 
links to to um, uh, information. But I would say that's tailed off a little bit. That um, I know people are uh, they still I still get it occasionally, but um, not nearly as much as um, as I was a few years ago. Do you still get manila folders? Yeah, yeah. But it was it was a bit of a trend, wasn't it? Yeah, at one yeah. stage, um, where where people would love bringing in uh, information and try and educate you. You know, I'd I'd certainly wouldn't have the the gall to do that to my GP, Mark, and and roll up to my GP and and start telling him what 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 disease I have and um, presenting him once, with facts. To be honest, to be fair, I have I have shown up. <laughs> And what was that? I, I was um, bitten by a bat. Oh, okay. And uh, and so I, I did take the um, the protocols for uh, post, uh, what do they call it, post-exposure prophy for lysivirus. Um, I took those formal protocols with me. Um, it was pretty hilarious because I was sitting in the waiting room of the uh, emergency, the emergency room at John Hunter Hospital here in Newcastle, with a, an array of badly damaged people with blood and limbs askew asunder, and uh, and I had a scratch from the bat on my elbow, and uh, and so the receptionist slash nurse at the counter looked at me with a very um, disapproving eye that I was taking up the time of the emergency with the scratch on my elbow. And that eye, that evil eye I got from that receptionist, didn't get any better when I lobbed the uh, post profi exposure protocols from the New South Wales Department of Health for uh, Australian bat lysivirus onto the desk in front of it. The evil eye, the side eye I got, just got a little bit worse. But you got there in the end, I presume? Yeah. I did get it there in the end. You're still with us. You're still with us, Mark. So it must have worked. Yes. So, yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd be interested in our subscribers, Mark. If you can pen a an email reply to us, vetgurus at gmail.com over the Christmas New Year period, um, because I'm sure you'll be sat at home after imbibing a little bit too much listening to the podcast um, reply and say, what changes of the types of species, pets or species you've seen or clients? What and has, has, Dr. And has Dr. Google dropped out of your um, your orbit at practice? I'd be interested in that. Now, Brendan, yes. you were pr- promising to tell me about some defrosting event. I don't – I'm sort of at a bit of a loss. What's going on with this case? I told you that case. I'm sure you've told and – and maybe we have covered this previously in a podcast, but um, – it was. I'm sure I have, Mark. We have during one of our one of our drunken it, it, dinners I, I, at some stage. It must have been one of our <laughs> drunken post post conference meals because it's like it's completely slipped mine. Tell us about it now. Well, this was in my first six months of practice after graduating many many years ago when um, after hours was. One in two, myself or the boss um, in a two-person clinic, Mark, and uh, I think there was one emergency clinic in whole of Melbourne, which is a long way away, um, 
from our region in Melbourne. So most clinics did their own after hours, as, as you well know, Mark, in the old days. Um, so I was rostered on every every second day. And I turned up to work after a night off, Mark, and my boss was on and uh, started consulting. And Well, no, I didn't, sorry. That's the wrong wrong. Um, start to it um rolled up to work um about to start consulting and i noticed the boss's car was there david let's just call him david and i thought that's a bit weird you know he normally doesn't start he's been on duty overnight uh, and, and typically what you would do if you had and those days were the days mark when we had lots of parvo cases um in dogs so you'd um diagnose it even by you know the smell of the animal when it came in and the look yeah. of the animal and the history and you do the usual supportive care shove it on a drip cross your fingers and hope if it gets through those first couple of days or so it would be fine cover it you know um, with supportive care and he had seen a German Shepherd um, the night before or the evening before, um, which had suspected parvo and it crashed. Um, so he popped it on a drip. Um, once he finished all the consults for the evening, he left to head home. And as you would do in those days, he came back a couple of times during the night just to check the drip was still working. No webcams in those days, Mark. <laughs> and, uh, visited at you know probably midnight and um, checked on the dog it was all good um, and then came back about 3 a.m just to have one final look before heading back to bed and the dog was dead oh. um, so he um, got the dog and um, bundled it up and popped it in the freezer um, and and headed back home to bed and uh, so I'd come in in the morning and um, he decided yeah, I would come in first thing and sort things out and um, he jumped on the phone um, and uh, phoned the client and um, he wanted to do the old, you know, talk the client, bring them down slowly or bring them, you know, to the conclusion that their animal's not alive anymore slowly and big mistake, you know, always be up front, Mark, yeah. honest. And he said, oh, you know, the dog is not, you know, he, oh, he no. deteriorated overnight. He's not doing too well. Um, he's, um, you know, he's uh, came back during the night. He wasn't doing too well. And, you know, I've come back again and, um, yeah, it's not looking good. I, I don't think he's oh. going to, I don't think he's going oh. to survive. Oh. And just as he said that, this client said, I'm heading over. And he hung up the phone. Um, so... There was David, um, and this was an old converted house, Mark, and it had yeah. a, a bathroom there. Um, and as I wandered in to start my day, and after seeing his car in the car park, um, I could hear water running. And there he was in the bathroom, running hot water in the tub um, with this frozen, stiff German shepherd oh. trying to thaw it out because he knew the owner was on, her, on his way um, to try and visit his dog that was almost dead. So, yes, um, it didn't end well, Mark. It didn't end it did well. did not end well. So, but I always remember well, that one I, because I, you're very impressionable impress, impressionable when you were young, but also um, it, it really... Um, um, look, I think it's a good story because um, it, do, it does point to some of the things that happened probably a little bit more when you and I were uh, recent graduates, and that is the... the you know, you would become 
you would do out of hours and lose a lot of sleep and and your decision making may not have been the best under those circumstances and and I think it uh, it's a good opportunity just to remind everyone that as you said before uh, no matter how uh, how apparent it might be that there's an easier way the absolute truth and honesty uh, will won't guarantee you won't have a problem, but it'll be the smallest problem you have as soon as you start to vary from that. Things yes. don't go well. Yes, and as you know, Mark, we as you get a little bit older and a little bit wiser that it's always best to be upfront and to be honest and, you know, practical approach to these things and just tell the client, even though it's painful for everybody, um, it's it's the best way to go. You know, it's never going to bite you on the bum, Mark, and you're not going to be sat there trying to thaw out, thaw out. Thaw out a dog, Mark. Um, <laughs> yes. So do you have any um, cases you wanted to chat about? Um, I was just going to, reflecting on this year, I was um, I was just going to um, touch on two quick points, Brendan. This has been an exciting year where I've been able to, for me personally, been able to bring the wonderful things I've learnt from spending time with you and our other unusual uh, exotic and avian veterinary colleagues, all those things I've learnt over the years, I've been able to bring to bear to a little bit of conservation uh, uh, medicine. And in particular, I've done some some stuff with crocodiles, but the one I wanted to mention most was um, the work with the palm cockatoos up at uh, uh, the Northern Peninsula area. They're just a pleasure to spend time around. But the key thing I wanted to just um, mention today was uh, the specific thing I'm doing with the palm cockatoos, Brendan, is to find their nests. They are uh, strange birds in that they probably have, uh, for each pair that breed, they probably have half a dozen nesting sites um, some of them they'll use for display, some of them they'll actually nest in. The trees that they nest in, on average, to achieve the sort of hollow that's useful for a, a palm cockatoo, they generally have to be eucalypts of about a couple of centuries or a little bit more in age. And, and a very specific set of events usually has to happen to that tree to produce the hollows that are... That are um, that are suitable for reproductive activity. The birds don't breed every year. They have a yeah. very low reproductive rate, um, often only producing one chick every two or three years. And so I'm looking for nests. That's my sort of gig. And and I'm disappointed to report, Brendan, that I have found two nests earlier in the year, two nesting hollows. And in September, in the area that I was searching for these nests, there's usually some... Uh, cool fires that go through the, the scrub up there, taking a lot of the those uh, tropical grasses that grow rapidly, uh, taking a lot of that material out of the undergrowth, but often not having a significant effect on the more long-standing plants in the in the bush there. But this year, um, the fires were much more intense and a little bit more extensive and they took out both those nesting trees uh, up mm. there. And I don't know, I just wanted to relay that to everyone 
that story because I don't know we we uh, there are practical consequences happening right now to the way that the world is changing with respect to temperature and some people would have you believe that um, we're all going to be okay Um, but I get a little bit well upset and depressed when I think about the palm cockatoos Brendan well that is depressing Mark for this (laughs) holiday period do you want to chat about um, another species that you've had a little bit of well, I'm perfectly happy. With, oh, the crocodiles. Yes, yes. I love the crocodiles. I've been, and it's just so, it's the same thing. The, one of the things that the, the hallmarks of the work I've been able to do with the crocodiles is that um, it brings to bear a lot of the stuff I've learned from bloody UPAV conferences, the Unusual Pets and Avian Vet conferences that, uh, that are uh, the, the meeting place of our special interest group and, and uh, niche of the profession here in Australia, I, I, I can't tell you that that uh, I've been anything innovative in the stuff I've done with the crocodiles besides just uh, uh, apply the things that I've learnt by listening to um, you know, our colleagues who work with them and show up to UPAV. But that uh, the opportunity to go into the the wilderness to wander into the swamps. Um, the not-for-profit conservation group I've been working with has done surveys from helicopters and identified those nests, and uh, we wandered out in some of the most remote and pristine tropical forests, tropical woodlands, uh, and swamps to reach these nests, uh, where we've uh, done some uh, work with the eggs and harvested a small proportion of them. And so those interactions with the nests, reviewing the camera trap footage afterwards and and seeing the animals that interact with the nests, uh, um, dealing with the the mother crocodiles as they protect the nest, all those experiences, yeah, they've been wonderful, Uh, you know, um, just the sort of uh, uh, life-fulfilling conservation work I think a lot of us like to be involved in, so... So, yeah, I feel very lucky for the contacts I've made through our profession, through the podcast even, Brendan, um, that has uh, given me the, the confidence to work with those animals and, uh, um, and be able to, um, to help the, the uh, team to sedate them and apply trackers to them. Um, all that sort of work is pretty special and uh, I can't think of anything I'd want for Christmas more than that, uh, the, the, the knowledge and experience that's allowed me to get involved in that work. Yes, I am very jealous, Mark. You're a lucky man having to deal with those as long as, as, long as they don't pull your head out of one of these crocs one day. Uh, <laughs> I've got um, to tell you that um, it's, it is fascinating. When you go up to one of the, the – uh, because the estuarine crocodiles, uh, unlike the freshies here – uh, the female estuarine crocodiles guard the nest. They they build this um, big mound of rotting vegetation and lay the eggs in it. Um, and the female crocodile, uh, generally a three and a half metre long animal, something like that, will guard the nest. And they're usually uh, either on the nest, actually sitting on the nest, not not heating it, just guarding it, or they're in a one of the gutters that develop next to the nest. They're in very close proximity to it. 
and they behave really, really predictably, Brendan. Really predictably, they'll uh, they'll have a few snaps and flick around to uh, to try and get you to move away. And so, if you um sort of get a bit of a, a paper bark stick and and poke them on the side, they'll they'll generally not come towards you. They'll just whip around and have a snap and and it's fascinating to see that that behavior has obviously been so successful for 10 millennia that that they have no other like there's if it doesn't work they don't they have no plan b it's been plan a has been so successful for um, such a long time anything that comes up to them that gets snapped at by a crocodile wanders you know races off really quickly and the eggs are safe yeah um but if you persist for um, between 30 and 40 seconds, they just give up and uh, and swim off. They come back, uh, the camera traps tell us, about 8 or 12 hours later. Um, but, but yeah, you get you get a good window to uh, have a look at the eggs. You have got to keep a close eye. I'm sure there will be one crocodile, one female crocodile, one die that uh, won't wait the requisite uh, six to eight hours and um, will come back a bit prematurely. But hopefully I'll have my eye on her as that happens and I'll prevent me or any of the conservation workers uh, developing any crocodile-associated injuries. Now, that leads me on to remote work, Mark, and uh, travelling vets and uh, locums and that. Do you think, what, what do you think the future is for all of that? Um, I, I reckon this is a great topic because I think there's it's a little bit difficult and there are some uh, regulatory requirements that uh, mobile vet- veterinarians have to you know abide by depending on the jurisdiction that they're in um, here or around the world. But I definitely have seen an increase in uh, the number of um, uh practitioners who are traveling and doing some form of veterinary work as they travel i know you have a colleague who um uh who's who's more formally set up a a uh, a process of traveling and practicing at the same yes time. yes shout out to thanks for mentioning that shout out to vet in a van um uh, tanya who's Bit like you, bit of a nomad, and has but even more of a nomad, and has been travelling around Australia for probably almost two years now, and uh, promotes herself and her business, which is literally called Vet in a Van, and uh, is having a great time. I, I keep in touch with her via snooping on her social media posts, Mark, yeah, yeah. and um, um, her, her kids have. Um, Mostly homeschooled, but they also, um, I think, occasionally stop at um, places for a length of time where they are enrolled in local schools. And um, yeah, she, um, I think, she's got it pretty well sorted, Mark. And obviously, she's had to go through the hoops to um, to sort out, you know, the legalities of, of registration. And um, I think she's very switched on as far as um, making sure that she does the right thing by everybody, including the animals, and uh, refers them on to, you know, local clinics if there is one, um, if if it's more than what she can deal with. Um, but she provides, a, I think, a great service, you know, in, in, in remote areas where she can provide basic veterinary care and, you know, even just standard 
doing vaccination runs and and wormings, etc. And 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 it is a bit of a surprise to me travelling around Australia to see, um, particularly in some of the remote places, how far some people and their animals are away from uh, veterinary support, or both in time, how long it would take for a vet to be there. Um, and there are some remote locations where vets will attend, you know, once every few months, um, yep. uh, or just physical distance. That I know where we are at um, uh, on the peninsula. There's been um, there is a visiting practitioner, but in between those visits, if a dog develops a, a gastric dilation, it's literally a thousand kilometre drive to the yeah. nearest practice that can do surgery. So um, I've got no doubt Tanya does a, a great service guiding those people about the decisions they need to make. But the other thing I'd say that's really interesting, Brendan, is that I think there's also the opportunity for veterinarians to travel um, and do that locum work um, as they travel. So they don't necessarily have to set up a, a practice on their own um uh, a la vet in a van, they can, you know, phone ahead, know that they're going to a particular town and and often those uh, rural and remote towns have trouble attracting um, relief veterinary staff and with a bit of experience you can provide an outstanding service for some of those practices to give them a bit of a break and, uh, and, and earn a... Earn a, a a week or two's locum in a town. And I think when you're travelling, those experiences that insert you into a community change the travel from, you know, being a tourist to actually immersing yourself in. And you get to a, a closer handle, a better handle, a more authentic handle on the places that you travel to. So, so yeah, I think uh, um, those vets on the road are, are maybe a little bit of a future trend. Yes. Well, Mark, we've almost lasted an hour and I know you want to keep chatting, but um, perhaps we should let <laughs> our listeners enjoy the rest of their holiday season. I'd just like to thank all our listeners, Mark, and especially our subscribers for another year. We've lasted another year, Mark, and uh, I'm hoping that we can keep going for another year. We and another will. year. We definitely will. From here. And we've also got to thank our sponsors as well as subscribers. Yes. So do you want to run through them, Mark? <laughs> we've got <laughs> Microchips Australia. You always forget, don't you? I do, I do. <laughs> Microchips Australia. We have... Uh, uh, Oxbow, the Oxbow products in Australia with uh, uh, small animal, small animals, uh, small, small animal, animal nutrition. nutrition. Yes, Jen and her and, team, uh, and uh, the wonderful F10 products from Chemical Essentials. Uh, all those, uh, it's such an e easy job having those uh, wonderful people as sponsors because we'd be promoting their products anyway. They they are, are wonderful uh, supporters of the exotic and unusual veterinary profession here in Australia. And uh, it's just a pleasure to be associated with them. Yes. And our patrons, Mark, from patreon.com. And you know who you are, patrons. Um, we've had a couple um, that have been with us from virtually 
episode one mark, um, including um, our good friend Sandy. Um, and we thank them very much for being really a patron, yeah. helping pay our production costs, which so, are not insubstantial. Yeah. Well, Brendan, I'd like to thank you and wish all the aforementioned people the very best of the holiday season. I hope they have a great, great Christmas. hope they get to celebrate it with their family. And, uh, and I hope everyone looks forward to a bright, chirpy, happy, even more exciting new year and that, uh, yeah, we'll achieve all our goals in 2020. Yes, send, and send us a, flick us an email, send us an email, say hello and uh, have a great 2024 and we will talk to you next year. Thanks for listening. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time